Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Santa Pruce. Welcome, Santa. <laughs> You've been on a long journey last night and i hope you're feeling well and armed with lots of cookies well well rested (laughs) well hopefully the elves and all of the animals did their work to help you and all of the gifts have arrived for all of the good people in the world who deserve them well hopefully there are pet keepers that are uh, smiling big today and uh, pets themselves that are happy well, it's always a great time of year to feel good about what you do. And Rick, I got to say, this was probably a year where to say you earned your salary this year, I got I got to say, you went through last year I thought was crazy, but this year might have been just as if not crazier, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think it's it's different in that you're kind of I mean, the previous year, you knew where you were at. You knew that it was a clampdown. You knew that it was an executive order. You knew it was this and it was that and the, the level of – but, you know, with the burnout for COVID, you know, irrespective of the people dying, and I've had several around me more now than ever mm-hmm. that have passed away from COVID, there's still this kind of, um, you know – you know, who's in charge here? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, really. Well, you it, know, makes, it, it makes it hard to make decisions, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're doing the best we can to fight the battle, so to speak, um, uh, with this new uh, Omicron uh, variant out there and kind of the anxiety of not knowing what it really means and, and how it's going to take off and what's the implications for not only our business but our our most valued resource, our, our, our employees, and, you know, where, where do we go from here? So it's been a very busy year, uh, definitely in the pet keeping world, and people are staying more home. Um, there is a very strong active interest in, in pets, um, and we are part of that marketplace. The Internet has kind of um, taken on a, a bigger seat at the table as a result of all this. So it's just an ever-evolving uh, um trials and tribulations that uh, when change happens, change is always awkward and change is always stressful. But, you know, from that, hopefully, you know, only good things happen. Yeah, but I like some of the ways that you've responded to it, because to be very candid with you, the idea of a bug bar is something that I don't know was necessarily on your agenda at the beginning of last year before this whole thing happened. But it changed your reality, and it made you realize there there could be a better way, the new front counter, the new – just the different things that you've come up with to continue to focus on coming to Proust Pet should be an experience. It sure. should be sure. something that when you walk in the door, you just say, wow, at all the different things that you see. And it captures that joy that animals can represent in people's lives. And so I'm, I'm happy for you to have gone through all of this. I'm sorry for how difficult it's been. And it's been a stressful year for you, no doubt about it. But at the same time, your store seems to be doing 
doing very well. The fact that you got national publicity on CBS last week, and frankly, you've just you've done some extraordinary things, my friend. Well, thank you, Lee. Um, I'm uh, I, I'm I'm excited to be able to wake up every day and and really love my job. Um, I'm excited that we're able to really provide something to the community that I see as great value. Um, and I guess I also realize how delicate and how not for granted all of that is. You know, things can change and change rather quickly as we learned and as we could learn and in, in, in the future. So, but uh, I'm excited about this week's uh, show. Uh, being at the crossroads, I get to meet all kinds of people, and um, this guest will be no exception to that. She's uh, a teacher at MSU, and she teaches all about companion animal and how to care for them to students that may not even have a knowledge of that. And more importantly, um, exotic animals. And uh, you wouldn't, you know, it just, they teach that there. That's fantastic. Yeah, I thought you would be saying, hey, that's my job. No, no. <laughs> but, but bottom but, line but, is someone's, yeah. doing, someone's yeah. doing your work yeah. for you, and yeah. Uh, yeah. she's doing a great job. And as you said, we're going to talk with Jackie Jacobs, who is an assistant professor at MSU in the Department of Animal Science. And she just – when you hear what this lady's got to say, you will begin to appreciate how much she appreciated animals, how it changed her life, and how if you take her class, you would be surprised at what you might learn mm-hmm. and what you might get out of it. So kudos to MSU for stepping up and doing it. And it's a break to you guys because now you can just be the backup. Instead, <laughs> instead I'll of, be a backup singer anytime when it comes to – you know, people learning, you know, proper ways of caring and keeping. Well, you know, the, the less difficult our job is because people come in with a preconceived idea of, of how to properly care for an animal, then that only makes our job easier. It sure does. And that's what we're going to talk about this week on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show, 1320 WILS. The MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, we have with us in the studio a first-time guest, although I don't know if it's completely a first-time guest because her husband was the guest with us last week. But this week we've got Jackie Jacobs, who is an assistant professor at Michigan State University in the Department of Animal Sciences. And, Rick, You would never believe what this lady teaches. She teaches people about companion animals. Not that that would help you in any way. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Jackie, how did you get involved with teaching people about companion animals? Is that something that you've just done your whole life, said, okay, I can either be a veterinarian or a teacher, (laughs) I'm going to go teach her? I mean, how did that work out? Yeah, I mean, like a lot of my students, I loved animals throughout my whole life, got involved working at zoos, um, animal clinics, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it just became a natural progression once I learned more about animals and companion animals in particular, um, exotic pet ownership, um, that was a natural progression for me. So, well, and you met Sam somewhere along the way, and I did. So yeah. that that must have had some influence because I know he's always been rather fascinated with exotic animals. Would you say was it just that each of you having a similar interest and passion uh, kind of sparked things, or did <laughs> did one influence the one more than the other? 
Uh, yep. So we met at working at a zoo together in Connecticut. Oh, okay. And okay. so we both, I think, had that shared interest in animals. And so, yeah, that's kind of... For, for those that didn't catch the show last week, uh, her husband, Sam, is the manager mm-hmm. at uh, Fenner Nature Center and at one time worked for us and has always <laughs> been, you know, fascinated with nature and even exotic animals because that's what he kind of did for us when he was there. And obviously working at a zoo would be that. And then in your case, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, I really want to get into what you teach, right? But in order for that to really happen, I wouldn't mind if we go back a little bit and just try to catch a little bit about, you know, where'd you go to school? What are your real interests in, in the way of what's your bent on this Let's teach people about companion animals. And where does that come from? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I grew up in suburbia and so never really had a chance to experience farm animals, livestock, anything like that. And I, the only pet we had growing up was a bird, a small parakeet. My parents did not want to have fur in the house or anything yeah. like that. And they are adorable. Parakeets are. are fantastic. I completely agree. I yes. loved the parakeet, yes. but I really wanted more. I wanted more animals, <laughs> like a lot more. And now, of course, I have quite a few in my house. Yeah. gone the exact opposite way. Of course. Yes. Um, but for my undergrad, I went to the University of New Hampshire, and I got involved working at the dairy barn there. And uh, it was a really great experience for me because I had never experienced anything with farm animals before. But they took me in, taught me everything, got a chance to take a course that was a very immersive experience. We got to do all the management decisions, feeding, milking, um, everything. So I really learned hands-on how to how a dairy operates. And, and the first few weeks was probably like, uh, oh. what am I doing? And I feel so uncomfortable. And by the time <laughs> you were done, you were like, this is my stuff, right? Kind of, yeah. I mean, from the, from day one, I, I thought to myself, this is this is really neat. This okay. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, but I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Thankfully, everybody yeah. else around me did yeah. and could teach me something. Yeah. And so that actually was part of a course that I was taking at the University of New Hampshire. And then the next semester, I was able to become the amb- ambassador for the next group of people going through. So I think that helped to spark my interest in teaching, too, was kind of that progression from, okay, someone else taught me this. Now that I've learned so much about it, let me try to teach someone else. And that's the best, really has been the best way for me to learn, too, Um, because I'm constantly doing that all the time with my own course. I get a chance to catch up with people that are like you working in the real world. I get to learn more about these different animals that I teach about. um, And there's always new information coming out. So. Yeah, probably that's one of the things that I really enjoy about my work is just not so much what I know, but what I want to learn. Yeah, you know, it's just always it's endless, isn't it? It is endless, and it's great. It's so exciting. Yeah. Well, and what makes it even more interesting is where science is taking human experience and proving it because every year we have a conversation about the human-animal bond Mm -hmm. and how important that is on both sides of the equation. And people, a lot of them, don't have any idea what we're talking about. But for those who do, boy, has there been a lot of breakthrough stuff that's taken place in the last 20 years teaching us how important it is for you to have those animals mm-hmm. and to, I mean, it's great to not have fur in the house, but come on. <laughs> I mean, we're talking a bond here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you bring up a really great point because there are lots of benefits for people from um, interacting with animals, from pet ownership. But also on the animal side of things, we need to be really careful to preserve that bond from their perspective, too, so that our interactions with them are always positive. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the bigger lessons that I've learned in, you know, 
not really lessons, but you know, the point that needs to be flagged out every time we talk about the great gifts that animals bring to us, it then the flip side of that page as we turn it and look on the other side, it's all about responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's all about making sure that, you know, both per person and pets experience is worthy of the the flavor of it all. You know, it doesn't become beneficial if if all you're doing is taking and not giving. And so what's nice about Jackie, she asked if she could come in and even do some videos in the store of how to properly care for animals. And then took that back to her students. And I'm pretty fascinated with that class. Explain the name of the class Mm -hmm. and what the goal of that class is. Yeah, great question. Um, So that's companion Companion Animal Biology and Management. Uh, It's taught from the Department of Animal Science. It is a unique course because it actually attracts students that are in a variety of different backgrounds, interests. A lot of them want to go to vet school, Uh but I do have students coming in from business, from math, from departments that have nothing to do with science backgrounds. The beautiful thing about electives. Yes, but it's interesting. It attracts so many students because they're all interested in companion animal pet ownership and how best to care for their pets. Um, And so that's part of the goal of the class is really I want these students to leave the classroom and have an appreciation for those different animals that we talk about, dogs, cats, small mammals, but also reptiles, birds, and fish Uh um, that don't get as much attention. And I think people don't always know how to care for them properly, which is why I love your store so much because you're so cautious about um, hiring the right people that are very knowledgeable, making sure that you're finding the right homes for these pets. Um, That's one of the reasons why I reached out to you and had you help me film some videos. Give me an idea of what students' perception of keeping, and I'm just going to, We I don't know that there needs to be too much discussion on dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. Not that we couldn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure that, that would be a section in of itself. <laughs> but when we kind of walk into the realm of exotic animals, yeah. there's a lot of flavors out there of opinion mm. that, that I just thought, you know, one, you see it, you hear it. I'm sure students don't keep it to themselves, but, and then how, how does that help you formulate your perspective to the students? Yeah. So are you talking about in terms of whether or not like it's Whether we should okay even have or, exotic right. animals and, you know, how do we care for them? And, yeah. how, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's from like, we just started talking the conversation about um, the value of pet keeping. And I've seen- right tremendous number of situations where, yeah, I see, I, I'm on that side of the fence where I see lots of value when somebody gets a bearded dragon and what yes. happens evolved with that. But I don't want to uh, taint the perception. I want, I want to get it from you. Yeah. What, what comes into the door and, and how, how do you massage that in some form of lesson that the students will leave with? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a lot of students come into the classroom, not necessarily having an opinion on that, but okay. I'm very upfront in the, in the fact that I say, um, I I don't know. I think some of these species that we keep, like for example, you don't keep iguanas. Yeah. And I agree with that because yeah. they're from a biological needs perspective. Yeah. we can't really meet those. We can't meet yeah. those. It's yeah. not possible. Yeah, and so we're really cautious with the way that we present. And by we, I mean me, present that information yeah. to lot, them. That puts a lot of power on your lot of responsibility. Power, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. for sure. A lot of responsibility on your shoulders, and, yeah. and I think honestly, being, um, you know candid Mm -hmm. about, listen, you know, I don't have the definitive answer on all this. Let's just explore 
what it's all about. I assume just exactly. knowing you, that's what we're probably talking about. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I right. present the information and I say, this is what we know right now. Here's the species that we're talking about. These are the biological needs that we need to meet. Can we meet them? Let's talk about how we would. What sure. is the ideal situation for them? Can we make this into a habitat that we can keep in a home? And how's the pet going to feel from that perspective, too? And when I talk about pet, I'm talking about, you know, we're talking about the more exotic ones. So, mm-hmm. for example, reptiles, we don't always know how, the, how they're feeling because they're so stoic. Yeah, they you know, are. No, exp- no, no emotions facial expressed. Facial expressions, right, are really right, challenging because right, they don't really necessarily right. make them. It's a little easier maybe for birds. Your wife yeah. could explain that much sure, better to me. Sure. But um, So, yeah, and fish, too. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of information about from the science perspective on how, making choices, seeing what they're motivated by. But it's a little bit even harder maybe for the reptile side of things. So Yeah, they are pretty stoic other than yeah. how they interact in their environment. Um, exactly. I was, I was just thinking about... Um, we had a bearded dragon that was in the reptile room. And at the time, the cricket counter was outside the reptile room, but at the entrance entryway. And, you know, you just sometimes have to just be woken up, you know. So this, this is a bearded dragon that we've had for, I don't know, a couple of years because it was kind of a store pet. Mm-hmm. It was in a pretty substantial cage. It had all the, you know, the, the necessary, the things that we feel are necessary. I'm... A customer's at the counter with their bearded dragon, and I look over, and I'm just not thinking about it. You think of them in their box. They, they see their mm-hmm. world. That's their own little, you know, like room. Mm-hmm. But with a clear glass lens, you know, it's looking out, and all of a sudden he puffs up, and he gets on his hinds, and he starts coloring up, and, mm-hmm. and he's nodding his head. And I'm like, yeah, this is a whole world to them, and, and it, the more we can bring that world into them in a way that they feel comfortable and happy and interactive yeah. the better and it's like they have a whole perspective that we always have to keep turning to and asking you know how how, how do you see it rick exactly. are you making the dragons angry again <laughs> now it wasn't me it was, wasn't me but it was probably another male uh, i think it was another male bearded dragon that was at the counter they were bringing okay. it in and you hardly could see it you know, yes. you wouldn't think that the bearded dragon even noticed it. And he was just like all over it. Yeah. So well, you learn how, you learn that they, they have good vision too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the amazing thing about animals is that sometimes their behaviors can absolutely surprise, delight, anger, create fear. You never know. Yeah. But bottom line is it, that's the adventure mm-hmm. that, that you go on with these animals. And it's great fun. We're speaking this morning with Jackie Jacobs, who is an assistant professor at Michigan State in the Department of Animal Science. And Jackie, what motivated most people to want to pursue these lives treating animals because it's just it's incredible to me the number of people who just know at age five i'm going to <laughs> yeah. be a veterinarian yeah i'm going to work in a pet store i'm yeah. i mean where where does this come from is it an innate thing in us is it just that the animals are so damn cute <laughs> that we we just love spending time i mean help me understand that i think there is an innate some innate version of, of many of us that like caregiving, pet caregiving. A lot of us grew up with pets and um, going to pet stores or, or reading about them, seeing them on TV, movies, all that kind of stuff. And I think that caregiving thing is really what drives a lot of people to pursue veterinary studies. And then by way of that, a lot of times going into different careers as well, because the companion animal industry is huge now. Yeah. I think it's $110 billion 
2021. So it's, it's big. There are a lot of jobs out there. It's not just veterinarians. So, you know, if, if dinosaurs were a today thing, there'd be a whole nother passion. I think about kids and how passionate they are in dinosaurs. And if there was actually a yeah. field you could go into where you yeah, could care for dinosaurs, next, this is the next step. They'd be doing that. This but I only say that somewhat like connecting to our fascination with yes. life and, you know, we in, in irregardless of how, you know, there's just some kind of magnetism we have about that that's different than an inanimate object, you right. know. It's hard. It, it, well, uh, Emilio Mar- Marcos got pretty fascinated with shoes, yeah. but – uh, by and large, I think live animals that eat, breathe, and, and think are just so much, or plants that grow are just so much more fascinating to me and to many people because there's so so much substance to it. Uh, there's no question about it. But, Rick, we need to take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back after the break and talk a little bit more about some of these classes that you teach and essentially what kids are getting out of them. We're having the conversation with Jackie Jacobs from Michigan State University Department of Animal Science, and we'll be back right here on 1320 WILS. Welcome back to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning with Jackie Jacobs, who is an assistant professor with Michigan State University in the Department of Animal Science. And she teaches courses on companion animals. And before the break, Jackie, we were talking a little bit about one of the courses that you teach, but help me to understand for the people who are taking these courses, why is it that they're taking it for the most part? Do you think that it's just because they have the love of animals? Is it always career seeking or is it more their own psychology that it gives them an outlet because I can see your course being the one that, you know, I hate math 108, <laughs> you know, I hate having to do this. Chemistry. But, yeah, but, yeah, but then all of a sudden I've got this animal class right. where I get to work on something that I've done in my life and I love. Is, is that something that attracts people? I think so. I think it's a bit of a reprieve for a lot of people from those heavy science courses <laughs> or math courses that they have to take when they're pre-vet students. Right. Um, um, but yes, I also think that innate love of animals, knowing, you know, maybe having pets growing up, um, it's it's that course that attracts a lot of people because it seems like it would be an interesting course to them. And I hope it is. That's my goal. So. Now, in the break, you had mentioned that you've been teaching this since 2018. Yep. Um, how many students are in a class typically? Yeah. So uh, I teach it every semester. One of my semesters is 120 students. It's always full. Um, the other semester, I try to keep it a little bit smaller at 60. And so what's what's the class like from 2018 and what has it grown into or matured into or developed into or is it the same class, same syllabus, same actions? <laughs> yeah, no, I try I try really hard to, to revise it each semester and um, to constantly improve it based on feedback from the students and what they're interested in. And so um, in 2018 when I when I came in and I took the course over, um, it was it was a great course. It covered a lot of different topics, but I tried really hard when I started modifying it to um, have it flow more naturally from making sure that we covered species that were 
you know, popular as pets to cover different areas that maybe weren't explored in the past, making sure in particular, since I'm a welfare scientist, um, really that we are talking a lot about um, how biology can how we need to replicate, you know, biological needs or understand biological needs in these animals and whether or not we can actually replicate those environments to ensure they have good welfare when we keep them as pets. So taking the students that went through your class then or just in general, they go through your class, what's the student like when they come in in general? Not that I like to necessarily stereotype, (laughs) but in general, what's the level of understanding and what's the level of diversity of understanding, and then what's it like leaving the class, and what do, what kind of comments do you get? It's a great question. Um, so I think a lot of students come in expecting, because the course is just called Companion Animal Biology and Management. So the c- students come in expecting dogs and cats. We're just going to cover dogs and cats. Yeah. But this is a great opportunity for me to make sure that they leave the classroom understanding mm-hmm. a lot more about all the different animal species that we keep as pets. They don't often think about you know, I had a fish tank. Maybe I had a betta fish when I was, mm-hmm. you know, younger, but didn't mm-hmm. really think about that from the perspective of that betta fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want them to leave the classroom understanding at least and hopefully maybe even being able to teach someone else something about exotic pet ownership because those are on the rise. They're very popular now. And so right. it's really important for me to the, that those students leave the classroom appreciating those animals a little bit better. And what kind of comments do you actually get as feedback I, I get a lot of positive comments, which is really, really lovely. Yeah, good, um, students good. say that they've learned a lot in the, in the, over the course of the semester, um, that they enjoyed the class. Uh, they wish they had more hands-on experience, which I would love to give them. Yeah, but we at yeah. MSU right now don't have anything with like a you know, dog or cat facility I can bring them to. So Yeah, and 120 students. It's hard. That would be. And that's know. exactly. And that's where the uh-huh. videos actually came in. So uh-huh. we talked a little bit before about how uh, you were kind enough to let me come into Proust Pets and film some videos with you uh, so that I could bring that virtual field trip to life for the students. Right. For those 120 students that I can't take out on a bus and bring out some, especially now, right? Yeah. There's no right. way we could have. We went that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm able to bring a little bit of your store to the the students in the classroom, and it was a really positive experience for them. They liked it a lot, so it was great. How important is this knowledge and this relationship in your mind for these people? I mean, what is this actually bringing to the world that didn't exist before that's making a difference that drives your passion for wanting to improve it and make it better and do all that? Help me understand the psychological impacts of this whole thing? Well, I, you know, at, at my core, I'm a welfare scientist, well-being, animal well-being. And so um, this, what drives me the most is is covering those animals that are uh, different, you know, not just, I, of course, I love dogs and cats. Can I do my research with them. Um, but um, the, under, having the students leave the classroom with a better appreciation for pet care and pet ownership, that responsibility that is so important when you take home a pet. Um, and appreciating it from the animal's perspective is key for me. And so I think that having those students leave the classroom, at least for themselves knowing that, but then also if they can pass it on to someone else, um, that's even better for me. So Interesting. Um, I imagine you have individuals that come into the class and all they've had is maybe a farm background mm-hmm. where even animals for, for slaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've had others that may have signed up and have kind of really, you know, a, um, a zealous uh, mode of animal rights. Mm-hmm. Do those, what, 
what happens in the classroom? What, <laughs> what happens when they get together? That's a great I, I, I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, you're are, looking out at 140. Are you ready? <laughs> are you ready? Yeah. No, are they on top? Are, are all the uh, Carhartt jackets on the left side? And <laughs> uh, uh, that's less of an issue for the companion animal class because it doesn't come up as much. Okay. Um, but I do teach animal welfare science, two of them, two courses. And that is a smaller class. I keep that class at 20. And it is a discussion-based class. And okay. so for that one, uh, those perspectives can be really interesting to tease apart and to get students to start talking openly about their feelings. My my goal is for them to appreciate animal welfare science from the perspective of um, understanding health and biological functioning, affective states, um, natural living and natural behavior for the species we talk about. And let's take it from the, the scientific perspective and come together and, and, and talk a little bit about how we can care for these animals the best. How, so, far do you, how, how far on each side do you tend to move the, the needle? The needle. <laughs> I'm just curious. You've been doing yeah, this for a great. while. And do, does the needle ever go the wrong direction for you? Ah. you know? I, I don't know. I'm just curious. Well, I mean, I think. Like, do they, yeah. do they embed in? You know, and, yeah. and, and it's like, okay, this if this was a snowball battle, we're going to put our forts up and throw snowballs all the time. So <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah, so I start the class – I start that class with saying that everyone's opinion is relevant and everyone's opinion should be um, – uh, respected. Yeah. And so I my goal is for students to feel open enough to have an open dialogue nice. that we can start, you know, really discussing these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, how far the needle moves really depends on the student sure. and how open they are to learning new things. Does um, each class tend to have its own like thumbprint, if you will? Like you've been doing yes, this for a few years. Definitely. Like at the end of each one, yep. depending on the mix and the makeup and whatnot, there's probably a different flavor. Absolutely. Leaving. Yes, I have some semesters where I can't wait for them to be over because the mix has not worked out really well, and it's been a real challenge. But I've had uh -huh. other semesters where I would just love to keep those students forever just discussing yeah. everything. It's so interesting. Don't you almost wish you could video the whole great ones so that yes. you could play that as a... <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, this is what it's all about, you yes. know, when, when they discussion. all come together. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. That's great. Does it play out in a common sense way where you see just some students who maybe grew up in a rougher, more real world, and so they see the animal as a part of a food chain, mm -hmm. whereas you've got others who maybe grew up in a world where they were a tad isolated from anything negative taking place, and so they're living in that ideal of everything should be in its most pristine form at all times. And I just, I can imagine how that would play out, beginning with the, do we have our own chickens and working its yeah. way all the way up the food chain. Absolutely. That happens every semester. Um, and uh, part of the course is actually at the end of the class, the students do an animal welfare assessment on farm. And so the species changes every year. And this year we had swine. Um, and so some of my students, actually, the feedback was very strong animal rights side of things. Never been on a farm before. This is shocking. When she walked through the farm, she was quite shocked because, um, you know, we keep pigs in gestation stalls and there's purposes for different for different aspects of these of the way that we keep our our livestock um, but one of it one of the points of the class is really to get them to understand why why, do, why are we doing this why has it progressed like this and and why are we caring for the animals this way so let's assess the welfare state of these animals now as they are here and explain from a scientific perspective um, why we why we're doing what we're doing um, but yeah, it is really interesting to get that feedback because there are two sides of things, and oh, yeah. you have to I'm, see those students. I, I'm I'm just curious, maybe 
let's let's bring it to the other side of the commercials. But I'm just curious, um, cortisone te- uh, levels, uh, isn't it? Cortisol. Yeah, cortisol levels <laughs> that are commonly referred to as stress levels within an animal. And using that for those that are non-communicative um, in the way of the animal, you can't talk to them, you know, no Dr. Doolittle in, <laughs> in the room. Uh, and, uh, and how does that play into how effective or ineffective is understanding it from that chemical standpoint, you know? Does it does it make sense to listen to that? Well, yeah. so, well, let so. me jump in and interrupt because you know the question. And when we come back from the break, <laughs> we'll get the answer okay. from Jackie Jacobs, the assistant professor at MSU in the Department of Animal Science right here on 1320 WILS. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been having a fascinating conversation this morning all about companion animals with Jackie Jacobs, who is an assistant professor at MSU in the Department of Animal Science. And Jackie, one of the interesting things about what you do is that I never, ever would have guessed that MSU would have had a class like this. And I went to MSU. I got a degree. (laughs) Rick mentioned the uh, alternate classes that you have to take to get a degree. And I wish this would have been taught because a couple dogs back probably would have benefited a whole heck of a (laughs) lot from me having gone through that. What drove MSU to want to include this in its its, uh, overall options of classes? It's a great question. So this class has been taught for a while, but my position in particular has not been, has not existed and didn't exist before 2018. Um, and so we were talking a little bit about how uh, this is this position was really created in response to driving to students' interests. So students um, today are coming in less interested in livestock animals, more interested in learning about companions. Um, lots of pre-vet students, but our incoming class. For animal science, um, over 60% of them are only interested in companion animals. And the fact that I'm the only faculty focused on companion animals in our department is just is really interesting. So I hope that will change in the future. But it's really great that MSC was progressing and listening to the students and responding in, in, in kind. So. so back to what we, we talked about um, at, the, at the end of our last uh, before commercial break, um, cortisol levels. Yeah are tested. I, I was thinking of this study where there's a they study the cortisol levels in fish post-dam, right? A, a, a dammed area and the fish are swimming up towards the, the area. And the further they got away from the, the highly oxygenated, over-oxygenated water at levels downstream, the lower the cortisol levels were. And they were inferring or ended up concluding that it was the high levels of these gases that are within the water that were causing stress factors that wasn't present downstream. And that's what I was thinking when you were talking about animal welfare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, we can't talk to these animals. Mm -hmm. Um, Stoic presentations from reptiles or even um, birds that kind of keep everything to themselves because the last thing they want to do is show 
a sense of like I'm injured yeah, or I'm not feeling good or yeah, prey animals type things. I'm sure, um, but like horses will do the same thing. Mm-hmm. How important of a factor is that in in the study? Is that like um, like the the, the the holy grail, or is it just like one of seven different things that we look at? How do you, how do you yeah. give a perspective on that? A great question. Um, I think the latter is true because uh, we have to be really cautious. So we we a lot of times will take cortisol levels to get some idea of stress, but it can be a uh, sign of an acute stressor, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, fight or flight. Sometimes mm-hmm. cortisol goes up if you're acutely stressed. It's um, part of survival. Yeah. Um, chronic stress is what we want to be more cautious about, and that's what will impact animal welfare much more. Okay. Um, however, cortisol will also rise for excitement. So it really is just an indicator of physiological arousal. Like they could be really excited. Yes. Like happy. Happy, excited. So then and, your affect the is actually positive. Yeah. And your cortisol will still Very go good. up. So Very we do good. have to be really cautious about how yeah. we interpret that. And so taking more information when you said the seven different signs or whatever you want to talk about, yeah. um, thinking about behavior, what what else is going on? What context is happening in uh-huh. this in this situation? Uh-huh. And and then cortisol. Okay, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's That's one that of those too. things we throw, yeah. throw in there. Exactly. Um, Let's go back a little bit uh, about MSU and taking on the task of companion animals um, and, more importantly, just teaching, mm-hmm. right? Um, something you had mentioned uh, that we didn't bring up at the show, but you and I chatted or the three of us chatted uh, prior, is you actually teach teachers how to teach, <laughs> right? That's crazy. Like, I mean, it has to be done. Um, from my experience when I was in school, uh, even in college, I was saying there was definitely some teachers that needed to learn that, you know, uh, um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So it actually is collaboration between myself, um, Dr. Tasia Taxis and Dr. Kathy Ernst in the Department of Animal Science. And we recognize that our graduate students don't have teaching training. Um, so we go through grad school, we learn a lot about our particular topic, and then all of a sudden, if we go into academia, we're thrust into this environment where it says, okay, so you know so much about this topic, now you can teach it to other people. But that's not necessarily true. It's, right. There's an art to teaching, uh, to you know, educating students, um, expressing information or learning or, or you know, doing different – this is a terrible part of this, but <laughs> yeah, hopefully you know what I'm talking about. Um, but so – uh, yeah, so so we recognize this need for these students, and the students have responded really well. So we do teach our graduate students, give them opportunities to get into the classroom, to put together a lecture material, to learn how to do this through what we call backwards design, where they first come up with the assessments or their overall goal for what they want to teach. Then they think about the assessments and finally go trickle down to what is the lecture material. What are they actually going to pre- present to the students? Because mm-hmm. if we don't know the first part, you can't teach – yeah, students to at it, all to, to it. it. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of like what is the goal yes. before you yep. start with the mission. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but help me to understand because I've always been taught that it's not what teachers teach, it's what learners learn. And until the learner shows up ready to learn, it won't matter what the teacher is going to teach. So I have to imagine that the passion of the goal is the thing that has to be communicated the most clearly because until I really want to learn about this, am I really going to learn about it? To me, that's always been one of the gems that I wish every teacher would always understand is it doesn't matter how much you want to teach me until I want to learn. 
Yeah, and there's strategies for inc- um, for inclusion of different stu- of of different populations of individuals, making sure that you're ke- keeping your students engaged in the material. Um, there's different strategies that we talk about in that course, and so. Yes, you're absolutely right. If you don't show up and, and you, you're not interested in learning or, or engaging in the material, it's probably not going to go very far for you. Um, but there are different things that we can try to do to get that to come out of you. Well, and I would imagine that's where the passion absolutely. of the mission matters because you, you find someone inspirational. Forgive me for saying something nice about Rick Bruce, but I think that he has always been someone who has inspired a passion and a love for companion animals. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine too many people who know Rick Proust who wouldn't enjoy a course like yours mm-hmm. and probably do very, very well in it. But not everyone has Rick's passion, which has been inbred since before you even knew what you wanted to do. I think you found yourself well, in this path. Well, I, I do want to talk about one of the things I thought about this because I was asked to um, – I've seen individuals stand up in front of others and the the dumb face of the audience, right? <laughs> the The person's passionate standing up front and they want to talk about what they want to talk about. But when you look out, it's almost <laughs> like a comedian that does no joke and gets no laughter. Uh, is, is that yeah. part of the teaching? And I would imagine the other thing about teaching would be um, anxieties. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that you're standing in front of a class. Is that part of what you teach the teachers about. And is there ever a conclusion at the end? It's like, you really don't want to teach. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a really great point. So one of my students actually mentioned that to me this semester, that she was so anxious standing in front of students that she just couldn't get her words out, um, decided she didn't want to do academia anymore, even though that had been her path the whole time. Yeah, And so it actually helps me because I have never really enjoyed talking in front of people. It's been a really hard road for me. So I can express to her that it gets better. It just takes some practice. And understanding that other people have anxieties too actually helps me to connect with them better. Um, yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I try to be really real with my students, and well, I, I'm I just that, my person. I find this fascinating because here's a person that says she feels very anxious in public exposure like that, mm-hmm. and yet the university looks at you high enough and with re- <laughs> high enough regards to teach other teachers how to teach. Yeah. I find that kind of fascinating. But I also think that that's, that's um, kind of going back to like, you never had pets when you were a kid, so you knew, or not much in the way of pets, and so therefore the energy was the drive. Uh, the drive, and this, you have anxieties, <laughs> yeah. and you figured out how to get over them, and then once you figured that out, now you got the magic formula, and if you can share that with somebody, right? Yeah. Well, so that compassion and empathy part of things really helps me to connect with other people that have those shared anxieties. So sure. it's really great. Well, it's great that you are, and we've appreciated having you in the studio today. We've been speaking with Jackie Jacobs from Michigan State. University. Bad news, or actually good news for you, is that we can't talk anymore because we are out of time. <laughs> no, it's but, been really fun. Uh, but on behalf of our producer Bruce and Rick Bruce, my co host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen. For all of you, have a very Merry Christmas 